Coming up on Chasing the Natty, the transfer portal is heating up as the season comes to an end, but we also got conference championships, tons and tons of stakes, both in the CFB world and the CFF world, coming to a head right after this. Look down, Bill, the circus, one-handed catch is made. Jones goes to the end zone. Oh, what a catch! Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama! Watch out for Mr. Robinson. This kid is going to be special and is already flashing. This is Chasing the Natty, a college football fantasy podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing the Natty podcast. I hope you guys are all doing really, really well. Like I said with last week, uh, CFF championships done and over with. Congratulations to winners everywhere. We're now officially kind of turning the page from the CFF 2021 season. We're in that weird in-between area where the, act, the, the fantasy season is over, but the actual season isn't quite over. We got conference championships we got bowl games coming up. We'll get to those as soon as all those get all those details get figured out. But before that, we got conference championships this weekend, and really even the bigger story uh, today is just as soon as the season, the regular season's over, the transfer portal is now heating up massively, and we got a ton of guys. We got a couple of guys that we really want to touch on. Some other guys I'll throw out there real quick uh, near the end of that segment. Uh, if we want to talk about any of those guys further. But before we go any any further, I want to welcome our guest for tonight, uh, Mr. CK. CK is a wonderful guy. I've been talking to quite a bit on Twitter. He was part of the Kings Classic draft for us this year. I believe he was on a team with uh, Scott Bogman, if y'all listen to their show. Uh, he, uh, CK is a fantastic dude. But uh, yeah, CK, welcome onto the show and uh, let everybody know what you're working on and wh where they can find you at. Yeah, so it's great to be on. Thank you for inviting me. I'm a big fan of the show. I've listened for a while for both you and Xavier. It's it's an honor to be invited onto the show here and give my knowledge. I actually do a baseball podcast, the Heater Podcast, but I'm thinking about doing a college fantasy football podcast here in the off season. So we'll see. Uh, I'll keep you updated and follow me on Twitter. If, and I'll let you know for sure if I do that. Otherwise, my Twitter page is a lot of baseball and a lot of CFF, and I, I just love the game. Absolutely. Again, CK is an awesome guy. Um, asked if he could come on today because he was asking about uh, if anybody wanted to discuss conference championships. I'm like, hey, guess what we're talking about that's this right. week? That's right. So um, that's what we'll be doing today. But yeah, let's just go ahead and get on into it. We're going to first, uh, I got a few questions I want to ask CK about the season and stuff like that. Just a few things. Uh, I've been asking a lot of some of the other guests uh, that have been coming on recently. But CK... Uh, what are some of the things you've noticed about the CFF landscape in 2021 or just the college football landscape in general? This can be regarding just uh, the amount of people playing, anything to do with the actual season, uh, strategies may be changing. What do you think? So the number of people playing is growing so fast. So I've only been doing CFF myself. This will be my third year coming up here in the next fall. So I've done it two years. And two years ago, it was hard to even get into a league with people who are competitive and you know understood the game it felt like and mm -hmm. now because i see you going on twitter and going to georgia games and spreading the word and 
people spreading the word and John Lobb and all these guys out there and CFF's blowing up and I love it. Like I'm hoping that before long it gets bigger than fantasy football because CFF is, I know people get intimidated by the player pool, but once you get used to it, it's so much better. It, it really is. And like I've, I've mentioned this before, NFL is huge. I get it. I, I mm-hmm. don't see a world currently where CFF surpasses NFL fantasy anytime soon because again, it's just massive. It's just sure. the predominant fantasy platform uh, for every, every sport. But that doesn't mean the CFF can't be close. College football is bigger than NFL in so many different parts of the country, specifically the Southeast. There's no reason why we can't take advantage of that and grow it down there, whether that be through maybe conference-specific leagues, maybe that maybe that be through, like, um, you know, people are intimidated by the player pool, maybe Power 5 leagues only, Group of 5 leagues only, conference-specific leagues, stuff like that I think our people would be more willing to test out. But even still, once they get their feet wet in that, then they'll give themselves a bigger challenge by trying out these full FBS leagues, which are always incredible. Yeah, and you you do great work with the conference-specific leagues. I know you did those best balls in the offseason. I got in a few of them. I don't think I did particularly well in any of them, but hey, I was man. in them. If, if you didn't, don't feel bad. The one that I joined, the SEC one, I got last place in my own league. So it was it was a it was a rough one. For, I remember that draft specifically because I got the last pick in that sure. in that draft, and I figured out very quickly. I think I might, if I can, turn those into auction leagues next year of nice. some kind because I. It to me because the player pools dry up so quickly in those leagues, it is a massive disadvantage to be at the tenth pick versus the first pick in those kind of leagues. Like mm-hmm. CFF, because the player pool is so big, you can, you know, kind of work your way. But even still, uh, like I felt immediately at a disadvantage when I did that. So I'm like, honestly, I might play around with it, just make it a little bit more involved next year. Uh, but even still, uh, some other things you notice about this year that you want to talk about. I just want to point out. I was looking through some of the teams that won a championship in the leagues I was in and just the advantage that having a solid tight end. Now you mentioned the player pool is so big, so you can stream tight ends in CFF, but mm-hmm. I know I was running through a team where I was bouncing through like Marshawn Ford and Lucas Krull and they were okay, but the teams that win ended up having a lot of Michael Mayer. They had a lot of Trey McBride. I saw mm-hmm. in a lot of teams, if Cole Turner would have been healthy, I'm sure that would have been a big part of it too. It's Yes, you can stream the tight end, but there is something to be said for having a tight end that you can just lock and load into your lineup and say, every week this guy is going to produce for me too. I mean, absolutely. We saw that two years ago with Kyle Pitts once he took over at Florida. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know a championship team that basically didn't have uh, Kyle Pitts there because he was just a cheat code. for the positional uh, advantage. Such a massive positional advantage for anybody playing every single week because you can have a good tight end that might get you like at a ceiling of 20 points, but Kyle Pitts was, it was possible for him to hit 25, 30 points any given week. Yeah. So like next year, I know I'm going to be, I was already starting to look at some of the player pool already. I will mm-hmm. be targeting Brock Bowers on your team, Georgia. I'll be looking at Michael Merrigan. Yes, and sir. I want someone who I think can consistently get me into the 20 point range instead of maybe gets me to 20 points. I'm not going to lie. Brock Bowers has been one of the bigger surprises, even among us Georgia fans. Because, like, we, sure. like, everybody was pointing at Darnell Washington. We knew that if Georgia had the right tight end, like Darnell Washington, uh, that they could explode in this offense. Uh, but really, Brock Bowers came on strong this year. So I, I'm, a, I'm with you here. I think he's going to be one of the top tight ends. Taken. Have you seen, like, I looked at the Senior Bowl and just the amount of, like, CFF quality tight ends going to the senior bowl this year. This is going to be like basically a big reset year next year at the tight end position. Cause like some of these guys like Cole Turner, Trey McBride, 
um, Isaiah Jake Likely, Ferguson, I saw. Yeah. Jake Ferguson, like all these guys that we've been relying on the past couple of years, they're all gone. They're all gone. So we got to really dive deep into the tight end position next year. Um, so the other question I wanted to ask you, and I'll answer this myself because I haven't answered this before, uh, but what is one player that you were kind of hyping up in the offseason that you felt like you hit and one player that you felt like you whiffed on? Big hit for me was I looked at the shortened 2020 season and I looked specifically down at, I know UTEP, it's hard to believe. I looked at a little bit of UTEP, but I was really impressed with Jacob Cowing. I saw him, in a, I think they played North Texas at the end of 2020 and he was just like popping off and I looked mm -hmm. up the stats and I loved the yards per catch and I thought, well, I know it's UTEP. I don't know that they're going to move the ball all that much. And I was presently surprised. So I think I took Jacob Cowing and every one of my teams in the second to last or the last round. And after a while, I just, it was plug and play. Like I never took him out of my lineup. It was every time he's on the field, I felt confident that he was getting me a hundred yards or a touchdown. And that's all you want, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, like teams like that, especially if you're in a PPR league, like even if they're not good for scoring touchdowns, like even on bad teams, and they're behind a lot, they're going to be throwing the ball to their to their guys. So you can expect them to probably get like seven to ten receptions every single game, mm -hmm. and that's a great floor for you to have with guys like that. Uh, what's one or two players that you felt like you whiffed on? I took way too much Jalen Robinson. I mm -hmm. thought that Gus Malzahn couldn't mess up UCF, and yeah, I could blame some of it on the injuries, but even when he was healthy, he did not look like the Jalen Robinson that I paid a third, fourth-round pick for way too many times and the big hit I, I the big miss i had at running back was i looked at smu's offense and i thought this team's going to be scoring constantly and i saw ulysses bentley was great last year so i mm -hmm. paid up a lot for ulysses bentley and once again i could blame it on the injuries but even when he was healthy they just did not give him the ball it was tanner mordecai and you know i can't blame him for three use tanner mordecai but exactly. those two really came back to hurt me yeah, I'd say one player that I hit on, and I, I, I'll, I've been hyping him up all year long, but Charleston Rambo at Miami. So many people kind of wrote him off after he didn't explode at Oklahoma like they thought he was going to. And I saw him go to Miami, and I'm like, I like this fit. I like this fit a lot. And he didn't mesh super well with Derek King uh, like I thought he would. But once Tyler Van Dyke took over, and really either Tyler Van Dyke or Jake Garcia, uh, considering what I heard from practice, either one of those two, got the starting gig once the Air King was out for the year, he was going to explode, and he did. And he actually finished the season as a top 30 wide receiver, which if you're listening from an NFL perspective, top 30 wide receiver, like, oh, whoop de doo uh, Top 30 wide receiver is massive in college. There's a lot of receivers in college. So the fact that uh, he was going in like, oh, God, I, I should have my ADP sheet the last up, few rounds, yeah. Last few rounds, if not undrafted. Uh, and I've been hyping him up. I think I drafted him on, on between my best ball leagues and my, uh, and my uh, whatchamacallit leagues, my redraft leagues and such like that for season-long formats, I think I drafted him 11 times, which is by far the most amount I'd ever drafted a player uh, in different leagues. Now, one big whiff, uh, I went back through a lot of my lineups to see like who I drafted a lot that really kind of whiffed on me, and uh, two names really came up. One was Caleb Ellaby, uh, quarterback for Western Michigan. I really liked what I saw out of him uh, against the MAC last year. Uh, ending the season there, I was like, okay, if he can repeat that, he's going to be a stud this year. Absolutely not. Just really can never get it going in that offense. This year. I mean, the offense was fine, but it's just like he was never the linchpin of that offense. So he kind of fell apart. Up, sorry. They ended up going through Ladarius Jefferson a lot more, and 
Sean Tyler. Like they ended oh, up yeah. running the ball a lot more than I thought. I, I was, I, I spent a lot of picks on Sky Moore in oh, that yeah. offense, and, and he was good, but he was a lot more inconsistent than I thought he would be. Did you play in the championship week? I did not. Uh, that's it the, came back to cost me. Um, but even so, and then the other name that I kept seeing was, I liked Britton Brown a lot in the UCLA offense. And at the beginning of the year, like, when it was a split backfield, it looks like the, it looked like those two were going to be like the next Michael Carter and uh, Javante Williams. Javante Williams. Thank you very much. Uh, mm-hmm. It looked like that was going to be the next like big fantasy tandem uh, for this year, I was like, "All right, I can deal with uh, Britton Brown being like the one B in this offense. If this is what he's going to get me every week." And then, as the season just went on, Charbonnet clearly became the guy, and Britton Brown just kind of fell off. And I'm like, "Well, lost that positional battle." But that that but, happens, right? UCLA. Yeah. When it comes to Chip Kelly, it's always hard because he loves to rotate those running backs. So you would think that I I. I had the Charbonnet on only one team, and I didn't have Britton Brown anywhere. But I, I know I at least thought for after the first few weeks that I, I was looking at a split there. But, yeah, Charbonnet definitely stepped up. And now it's you hear a lot of NFL buzz for Zach Charbonnet now, too. Yeah, congratulations to him. I mean, it worked out for him. It didn't work out for him in Michigan. That's what the transfer portal is all about. Speaking of the transfer portal, we might as well uh, bring back an old segment for y'all uh, who's been listening for uh, quite a while. Uh, you'll be hearing a very familiar sound just right about now. Transfer portal news. All right, let's do some transfer portal news. Um, like, like I said at the beginning of the show, as soon as this season ended, transfer portal heated up immediately. Like we had some guys already in the portal just throughout the season, like guys like Taj uh, Harris out of Syracuse kind of come to mind, but no like real earth shattering news was really coming out. But now that the season is over. We're looking at some pretty major players already, like day one after the season, entering the portal. And there's really no other place to start except for Mr. Spencer Rattler, former quarterback of Oklahoma, former Heisman favorite, former uh, projected number one overall pick, former so many different uh, projected accolades for this man. He is now transferring out of Oklahoma. Uh, CK, I'm going to let you start off here. What are your thoughts on this, man? Well, we could see the it was coming, right? He got passed up by Caleb Williams midseason. Caleb Williams looked better than Spencer Rattler. And then we heard Lincoln Riley surprise, surprisingly, I guess, left and took the job at USC. If anything, we all, at least I thought it was going to be LSU, but he left. And then the next day, Spencer Rattler leaves with him. And so was it a surprise he left? No. Now the question is, where is he going to go? Uh, I can see, I've seen some people speculate on, you know, going to SMU and following in Tanner Mordecai's footsteps, but I think Preston Stone is still probably yeah. at this point, you're going to give him a chance over Spencer Rattler, I would think. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that one makes a lot of sense. Uh, I would love, I know I'd love to speculate on like Western Kentucky, right? Like Bailey Zappi, oh, yeah. we saw how con- efficient it could be. Hey, sorry about that, y'all. It looks like uh, just a little technical difficulties, lost internet there for a second, but we're going to pick right back up here. Uh, CK, what were you saying about uh, uh, Spencer Rattler there uh, as to where he was going? I was saying, I don't think it's going to be SMU, even if we want it to be. I would mm-hmm. love to say Western Kentucky, but just knowing, or not knowing him personally, but from what I see, Spencer Rattler has a an attitude that it has tended to rub people the wrong way. I'm not sure that he would buy in to Western Kentucky. I think he would still very much like to stay in the P5. 
Yeah, I could definitely see that. And I, I, I have preferred candidates for Western Kentucky. I like Miles Brennan there. Uh, Harrison Bailey, I think, is another interesting one. Uh, maybe there at Western Kentucky. I'm not uh, too big of a fan of Spencer Rattler going there. But like, I think a team like Arizona State, I think, is an interesting one. Uh, especially if Jaden Daniels moves on to the NFL this year. I don't think that's the current rumors or anything like that. But if he does, I think that'd be a spot Spencer Rattler might want to check out. Uh, I've heard a lot of people connect him to Ole Miss. Uh, if Lane Kiffin does indeed stay there another year, that that could be a great like kind of rebound spot for him. Um, but even still, I, like like we kind of mentioned earlier, this is probably the biggest quarterback transfer of the year so far. Unless there's really not one, unless there's one that just uh, we'll find out about later. Uh, but this is definitely the one that's going to get the most headlines going forward. Uh, we'll hit up our second. Big transfer news, and this is the one that uh, CK, and I, CK and I talked about this briefly before the pod, but this is the one that really we both agreed on. Out of the major players here, this is the one that kind of took us aback the most. And I'll start with this one. We got Jameer Gibbs running back out of Georgia Tech into the transfer portal. And the reason why this, does, this doesn't shock me in more of I think this is probably the one that says the most about the program that he is leaving that we didn't already know so i i'd heard the rumors that jameer gibbs wasn't happy at georgia tech i had heard the rumors that he was considering transferring out i'm like okay okay that's that's going to be with a lot of uh big running backs and stuff like that that maybe their team wasn't as successful this year i've heard the same thing about tank bigsby at auburn stuff like that i don't believe it until i see it well now i have to believe it and i have to see it because jameer gibbs is in the portal and Again, like I said, this to me says a lot about where Georgia Tech is at. Because I'll be honest, I'm a Georgia fan, but I'm a, I like I like Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech. He seemed to understand the ATL area pretty well. Was able to re recruit some pretty good guys there. Jeff Sims, uh, the quarterback they had there when he was healthy, was actually pretty great for this Georgia uh, Georgia Tech offense. Jameer Gibbs was a hell of a find for them. I know Georgia was looking at Jameer Gibbs uh, during recruiting season, but he went to Georgia Tech and said. Played well for them, and then just this year, it's been up and down for him. And I think that's part of the reason why he might be entering the portal, because uh, he just wasn't the main guy this year. So, what do you think, CK? What are you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, Jameer Gibbs is is definitely the surpri most surprising name that hit the portal recently. And Georgia Tech just should have given him more carries. It seems like like get the ball to him any way you can, carries, passes, something, mm -hmm. because I, that seems to be I think what. Beyond that, I don't know what could have irritated him. Uh, like you said, they did not play particularly well. We just saw them get absolutely destroyed by Georgia, which was to be expected because Georgia's doing that to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. As for where he goes, there's a lot of speculation I've seen on Tennessee. Uh, it makes sense. Like we've seen a lot of people transfer out of Tennessee, right? Mm -hmm. Now, but that's pre Josh Heupel's offense, although they just had, was it not Jabari Small, who was the running back who just entered uh, the portal? Tyon Evans. Tyon Evans just entered the portal there, but. That, that clears up a starting spot, you think, in front of Jabari Small. So Jabari Gibbs and Hendon Hooker in the same backfield. I think Hendon Hooker said he's coming back. So that yes. would be a fun combo coming up here. That would definitely be a fun one. And I, I don't blame Jameer Gibbs for going there. I, I definitely like the fit in that offense, especially as a receiving back. That's really where Jameer Gibbs really shines is catching balls out of the backfield. I think he's going to be fantastic for the NFL once they get there to him. Another offense that I've been seeing more speculation of just like how great he would be in this offense rather than any kind of like actual tie-in uh for him going there but Jameer Gibbs taking over the Tyler Beatty role at Mizzou next year 
Oh my god, I am literally just like drooling thinking about that combination if that does indeed happen. Oh, that'd be incredible. Um, but I think really the other kind of big thing here is, and I really think that uh, I'm, I'm going to quote college football nerds here because I think they put it best here. Bad teams are going to lose their best players to elite teams and they're going to be trading them for an elite team's bench. And I think that's what happens. It, it, I think that's what's happening here. Jameer Gibbs realizes that Georgia Tech is not going to be the kind of program that gets him on the map in terms of the NFL because they're going to be losing constantly. He's not really been able to shine this year as much as he did his first year. And he wants to go somewhere that's going to utilize him. So I think that's what you're going to be seeing here. He's going to want to go to a program that's proven to work with guys like him. Again, we mentioned Tennessee. We mentioned Missouri. Uh, but honestly, I'm going to throw Alabama and Georgia in here. Even if even if they're um, both of their back... I mean, Georgia's backfield is loaded right now, but they're losing two guys to the NFL this year. Uh, they're probably going to lose at least one to the portal. So why not bring in a guy like Jameer Gibbs to kind of fill up some of that space? Alabama, their entire running back room is completely destroyed right now. We'll get to that when we get to the game preview. But they're going to want some guys coming in that are A, healthy, and B, bring a different skill set than just running the ball. And I think Jameer Gibbs provides that. So definitely a very interesting one to watch here, I think, going forward. We'll hit up another running back here. CK, I'll let you start off on this one. We got Jalen Berger, running back Wisconsin, running back was at Wisconsin, now going to Michigan State. What are your thoughts here? So I'm from Wisconsin, so I'm pretty close to this one. So I was a big fan of Jalen Berger. We saw in the shortened 2020, Wisconsin got kind of decimated by COVID. But when we saw Jalen Berger play, he was running at about five yards per carry and looked like the next star running back at Wisconsin. Now it turns out it's Braylon Allen, but that wasn't that was before. That had nothing to do with the fact that Jalen Berger was transferring. It wasn't because Braylon Allen passed him up. It was because there was clearly some off-field issues there with mm -hmm. uh, Coach Paul Christ and. I can make speculation that I've seen, but I don't want to say that because I don't know that for sure. But I know that there was something going on with him and Paul Christ, and he entered the portal. I, I did know that he took a visit to Michigan State, and there's some rumors about Rutgers, but Michigan State made the decision, and or was the decision, and we saw how successful they were with the transfer running back this year, right? Kenneth Walker mm -hmm. came in from Wake Forest and is going to finish in the top three in the Heisman, five in the Heisman, somewhere in there, right? So you couldn't ask for a better transfer running back in. Can you expect that out of Jalen Berger? Probably not, but I think he can be pretty effective. I mean, one thing I think is, uh, again, turning the page towards next year in CFF, this is going to be somebody I think that a lot of people are going to be valuing very highly. Again, we saw what Michigan State did with Kenneth Walker this year. He's a top 10 running back uh, pretty much in all scoring formats that you've seen this year. Uh, so they want the next guy up. And a lot of people are going to look at Jalen Berger and say, oh, that's the guy right there. And I have no doubt that that's a possibility, but I do think people need to slow down just a little bit on the idea that Michigan State's going to just have another uh, workhorse running back. Go back to the beginning of this year. It took Kenneth Walker a couple of games to really solidify himself as the workhorse running back. They started off the year, even though Kenneth Walker really clearly looked like the best running back almost immediately, the carries were a lot more split at the beginning of the year, and I think they're going to start off that way next year. And if Jalen Berger proves that he can be that guy like Kenneth Walker did this year, he'll be great down the stretch. But if he can't, and it's not he's not separating himself from the pack, this could easily be a trap I think CFFers fall into next year. Uh, again, nothing, nothing on Jalen Berger. I'm just saying that we can't just assume that 
he's going to recreate Kenneth Walker's production because he might not be given that opportunity to do so if he doesn't separate himself like Walker did this year. Um, any other thoughts on this uh, transfer before we move on? Nope. I think you nailed it. All right. Cool beans. So we'll hit up one more. We got a running back, uh, third running back here. Uh, no major wide receivers have hit the portal yet. So, um, but I do have a few honorable mentions I'll list off here in a second. But even so, let's get to Mr. Zach Evans, running back out of TCU. Man, if y'all followed this, if y'all followed this recruiting story, like when it happened, again, as a Georgia fan, I was right in the middle of this, like trying to figure, like finding out up to date information, information on this. This dude was signed to Georgia. He signed his letter of intent to go to Georgia. And they had to go through some legal channels in order to release him from his letter of intent at Georgia. Things kind of fell apart between him and the coaching staff right there near the end. Georgia wanted him bad, but it's just. Again, I don't like speculating on behavioral issues and stuff like that, but it's clear as day with Zach Evans. If you followed him at all, there's some stuff going on there. And really, even after he dropped out of Georgia, you didn't see a ton of major programs go after him after that point. It's why he ended up at TCU, which credit to TCU, they took him in, and it looked like it might work out. It worked, might have worked out for a little bit there, but just as the season kind of went on, or at, or at the very least, uh, worked out in the first year uh, during the COVID year. There wasn't really too much peep out of him in terms of like drama going on off the field. But really, this year, once um, once uh, Darwin Barlow transferred out, and it was really just him and Kendra uh, Kendra Miller there, you started to hear a bit more bubbling about Evans not being happy about being in this shared backfield, wanted to be the guy, and things just kind of fell apart, deteriorated as the season kind of went on. Uh, clearly wasn't happy, happy with Gary Patterson as coach. Advocated for Deion Sanders to take over once Gary Patterson was out. Uh, clearly that didn't work out. And now here he is just at the end of it all. Out in the portal, it's going to be very interesting to see who takes their shot on him next. Yeah, you, you mentioned it. Like, as a recruit, this was a guy who Georgia, Alabama, Texas A&M, like you, you name those big SEC schools and they were all interested. But now the question is, after showing... Like while he's been on the, when we've seen him on the field, he looks good. The problem was like they, Gary Patterson didn't give him as many carries as I think, at least for a CFF standpoint that we all wanted him to get. But when he's gotten the carries, he looks good out there still. So talent is not still not in question here, but no, not at all. It, it's, it's the character. It's the attitude. Who's going to be willing to take a chance on a guy like Zach Evans. Uh, Zach Evans is someone I could see having to go into the G five to find a job. See, I mean, I, I, I almost disagree with you a little bit because I think because of that talent, because the fact that he's shown that um, despite his character issues, he will produce on the field no matter what because he's just that talented, I could see a program that is, I would say, quote-unquote, desperate at the running back position be willing to take a shot on him, especially if they promise him a good amount of carries. Um, I'm not going to name any programs because none of them really come to mind in terms of like people that are, you know, you, you have Colorado your coaches. State? Well, you 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 have you have your coaches out there that care about character, and you have other coaches that are you know a little bit more lenient with character. Um, so maybe one of those programs where a coach isn't quite as harsh on character among his players might be willing to take a shot at him if they're at a p5 level but i agree with you at a g5 level regardless of character or not 
uh, they're going to be way more likely to take a shot on him because he could be a game changer for any team that takes him at that level of football. We saw what Jerome Ford did at Cincinnati, and that's yep. you know, probably the best of the P5 schools here, but or excuse me, the G5 schools here. But uh, if he could land in a case like that where you know he's going to get carries, I said David Bailey at Colorado State, right? Like just knowing he'd getting carries, and you saw what he did. Like Zach Evans could go to Colorado State, be great, I think. So oh yeah, someone to watch. Someone to watch. Again, all of these guys are up here on this list for a reason. These are guys that we will be heavily, heavily watching. A couple of names I want to throw out here, just as guys I'm keeping an eye on. Um, but, they, you know, they're not really major. Like, they're not going to cause, like, a, a change in a program or anything like that. Uh, a couple of wide receivers here. Theo Weiss out of Oklahoma entered the transfer portal today. Um, Jake Bobo, uh, I think he was wide receiver one at Duke this year. He is now in the portal. Cam Johnson, wide receiver out of Vanderbilt, entered the portal today. Sam Crawford, I believe he finished as the wide receiver one for Tulsa. I can't remember if it's him or uh, if it was uh, uh, Santana. But uh, he's in the portal. And then a couple of QBs here. I, I mean, Jack Miller's been in the portal for a couple days now. Uh, but I'll throw him out there, quarterback out of Ohio State. I don't think he's the last Ohio State quarterback that'll be entering the portal. I have to imagine that one of Kyle McCord or or, or Quinn Ewers transfers probably not now but when it gets into the spring and they kind of really figure out who's that number two behind CJ Shroud I think uh, one of those guys will be entering the portal before the season is out and then Gunnar Holmberg quarterback out of Duke starting quarterback out of Duke he is down in the transfer portal a uh, couple of CFFers we all know Gunnar Holmberg uh, dude went off for a couple of weeks there and in the middle of the season kind of fell off as the season went on but even still those are just some names I'll be keeping an eye on just to see where they go. I think th those are all very interesting names. Uh, any of those names kind of stick out to you, CK, that you want to touch on? I played Jake Bobo a few times in PPR. Like, he got a lot of, like you said, he was on Duke too, and he got a lot of passes thrown to him. So you, you mentioned like Charleston Rambo, right? And his, what he got in Miami. If, if Jake Bobo or, or even Theo Weiss got to a position where I felt like they could be wide receiver one in a, like a high-flying passing offense, which Duke was not, right? They just wanted to oh, give no. the ball to Mateo Durant all the time. So... If you put him on an offense where they throw the ball a lot, they could be interesting. I, I, I agree 100%. Those two are definitely the, the top two I have on my list here as names to watch out for. Again, Jack, uh, Jack Miller, again, he's another one that if he finds the right, like all these guys, if they find the right spot, they're going to be good, in my opinion. The four that we really talked about here are all the ones that, like, no matter where they go, they're going to be an impact on their program. But those are our transfer portal news for. This week, this is not the only time we'll be talking about this. As the season goes on, there's going to be so many more big names hopping into that portal. We saw, like, what was it, like 2,000 players enter the portal last year in, like, all of college football. Like, it was insane. Absolutely insanity. So, it, we'll it's see. It's getting what they wanted it for, right? If you, don't, if you don't find playing time right away, hop in the portal, see what you can get. Like, that was the intention behind it, and it's, it's working. It is. And, like, again, for better or for worse, like, there's going to be, again... The transfer portal solves one problem. It's going to open up a whole bunch more. Uh, is kind of my point about that. Like it's going to solve a bunch of problems, but it's going to open up a whole can of worms that we didn't even see coming. But that's that's what happens uh, when you're uh, when the landscape shifting like it is. Uh, speaking of shifting landscapes, college uh, college conference championships. Good lord, I don't know why it's so hard for me to say that. Conference championships are this weekend. Uh, we got some big heavyweight matchups this year. I don't remember. Really, like when I was typing all this out earlier today, um, I was typing, I was typing this out earlier today. I was like, 
I don't remember this there being this many like ranked v ranked matchups in like all these different conference championships. Because I looked, every Power Five league has a ranked v ranked matchup this year. ACC or the AAC has a ranked v ranked matchup. Um, the um, Mountain West has a ranked team in their conference championship. Uh, UTSA was almost ranked. Unfortunately, uh, they lost this past weekend, and I imagine they will not be in the college football playoff bowl this week. But yeah, guys, we got a ton of great games, and really, there's no other place to start than the heavyweight matchup in the SEC. We got Georgia, number one Georgia, number four Alabama, the 4 p.m. game on CBS. Georgia, a six and a half point favorite here. DK, so I don't sound like a homer. I'm going to let you start off with start this one off. Oh, you don't have to sound like a homer, but I. Georgia looks, they're putting up a historic defense, right? We, we've seen the historic defense all year. It was on display shutting out Georgia Tech this past weekend. And Alabama looks beatable, right? They look beatable for a change. Not only have they lost once, they took double or triple overtime, was it, in the end, to, to sneak by quadruple. and Quadruple overtime, yeah. I, you, you lose track with those two-point conversion plays. They go so fast. So mm-hmm. quadruple overtime to beat Auburn. And I... Georgia comes in as the favorite. I would pick Georgia to win this game. I've seen enough Alabama this year to know that their defense struggles in the middle of the field. And we, we mentioned the tight end and we've seen the running plays from Georgia. Like this is not the typical Alabama defense that we've seen in past years. I mean, you're again, I God, as a Georgia fan, like I'm jaded, man. I'm jaded. <laughs> you're looking at this matchup and you're seeing all these things just pointing to the fact that Georgia should win this game and win it handily. Uh, this is a matchup nightmare for Alabama. Georgia has one of the best, the, if not the best defensive line they faced all year. And Alabama has struggled against some lesser defensive lines than Georgia's, even though they're good defensive lines. Uh, Georgia just has a mismatch here. Uh, Alabama's right side of the offensive line has become a liability for them. Auburn was taking advantage of it the entire game. Um, I don't know what Bill O'Brien's doing with Bryce Young right now, where he has them stuck in this like pre-snap check that is requiring so much time to be wasted off the clock, allowing defenses to read where the gaps are in the offensive line before the snap is even put out there. Bryce Young being forced to pass constantly. Like I get it, Bryce Young, it was a number one recruit in his class for a reason. Like I get it, you want to rely on him. But because of that, and you have holes at the offensive line, He's going to get sacked a ton in this kind of game. Add in the fact that Alabama's running or running back room completely decimated. The only healthy running back they have right now, healthy is a stretch, is Trey Sanders, and he's he's coming back from a car crash. Like, this, like that, that's all they got left. <laughs> Jalen McClellan out. Um, Kamar Wheaton out. Um, Brian Robinson got injured this past weekend. Like Bama is struggling there. And they're already going to have a hard time running the ball against the Georgia defensive line. They only got one scholarship running back now for this game. And this is going to force them to become one-dimensional. You put Bryce Young back there to pass a lot. Holes in the offensive line. Georgia's pass rush. It's really hard to see Alabama winning this game with that kind of attitude. Now, as a Georgia fan, I have to say, how does Alabama win this game? Well, the... Secret thing about Georgia's defense is that it's all the front seven. The secondary is probably the biggest liability for Georgia on their def- on the defensive side of the ball. 
And it's been covered up by a great front seven that has pressured quarterbacks, that has forced them to make bad throws. And they're still a good secondary. Don't get me wrong. Like Georgia could be doing a lot worse, especially if they didn't bring Darion Kendrick in from the transfer portal this offseason, stuff like that. Like, you're talking about, like, Georgia could be in a lot, like, that could be an even bigger weakness for Georgia this offseason. But Alabama, especially when they have Jamison Williams out there, I think Jamison Williams could be and has been for Alabama a game changer for them. If he can break away like Jalen Waddle did against Georgia last year for a couple of those long touchdowns and Alabama's able to sustain a few more drives against Georgia, this game could be a bit more interesting than we're being led to believe. But at the end of the day, as much as like I want to hedge against Georgia, even though I love Georgia, I love Georgia, but like I know what happens in these scenarios, like there's almost no reason not to take Georgia in this matchup. Um, beginning at, or uh, I, I forgot to mention this. I have all of the preseason predictions that Xavier and I made before the season started. Both of us picked Georgia versus Alabama for the SEC championship game. Xavier predicted Georgia to win. I predicted Alabama in the preseason, and I part of me says you should stick with it. But again, part like you can't not see what's been going on with these two teams. Georgia looks like the dominant team in college football right now, and there's it's really just hard to bet against them. So you got to go dogs here. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm taking Georgia in this game all day. I the matchup is perfect. You mentioned it. Yes, I would I would agree wholeheartedly that Georgia's weakness is the secondary, and if Alabama can hit two three big plays with Mechie or Jamison Williams or Jacory Brooks had a nice. I think he was the one who made the touchdown catch at the end of the game mm-hmm. to send it into overtime. Like they they still have the talent at receiver that they always have out there, and but you have to be able to get them that far downfield, right? You have to be able to get downfield against them, and Georgia's pass rush has been dominant and Alabama's offensive line has not been this year. Mm-hmm. So Auburn was it six sacks, five or six sacks against them last week. Good and Lord. that's just not something you're used to seeing out of an Alabama offensive line. They said the mm-hmm. defense does not look like an Alabama defense. So I think it's a Georgia fan, dude, you should feel pretty confident. Also breaking news here. Um, Ooh. Transfer portal uh, update here. We got another big name in the portal here. Demonte Trayunum. Arizona State running back is in the portal, which that is a shock to me because I thought Rashad White would be going off to the NFL this year and he would be lined up for a massive role next year. CK, what are your thoughts on this? Like just on on air right now, what do you think? I would have thought exactly like you did that. I thought we saw Rashad White look incredible down the stretch, really like Mm -hmm. quietly excellent and I would have thought he's going to the NFL. DeMonte Trainum steps into that same role, fills in. They, they throw a lot of passes to the running back there too, which is really how Rashad White picks up a lot of his chunk yardage. But hmm, I wonder where that, – that's a tough one because we've never – I've never even heard whispers of him Neither being upset. Neither have I. Like, this is a shocker to me. I'm not going to lie. We at least heard lately that Jameer Gibbs – or I could see why Jameer Gibbs was upset. Even if I didn't expect him mm-hmm. to transfer, I could see why. I – no idea why Tremaine Trainum would be upset with Arizona State when you think he's going to step into a larger role. So the, the only thing I could see there is either they might, maybe they're bringing somebody in, which might be interesting, um, or uh, Daniel Ngata, uh, their freshman running back from this year. Maybe he's getting a bit more buzz than we're being led to believe. Uh, but even still, uh, that's just some breaking news analysis right there. Uh, we'll get back to our regularly scheduled programming here. Now we're moving on into our next conference game. We're going to go over ahead and move over to the Big Ten. Uh, preseason predictions on this game. 
I had Ohio State versus Iowa. Uh, Xavier had Ohio State versus Wisconsin. Uh, both of us were so, so close to being perfect on this. Uh, really came down to the last week, but really the big story here, Michigan. Michigan playing for their first Big Ten title. De defeating Ohio State for the first time in 10 years. Now they're here. Iowa gets here on behalf of Wisconsin, blowing a game against Minnesota last week. <laughs> CK, I can tell you're not very happy to talk about that. Yeah, so I'm a Wisconsin fan, so they had it all right in front of them. And uh, Graham Mertz, man, I just I had such high hopes. I've seen a lot of not very talented quarterbacks come through Wisconsin and play pretty well because of their running game. And Graham Mertz, man, it's, it is rough watching it sometimes. Which is so shocking because, like, he – Performed yeah. so well with his first start, and then it's just been downhill ever since then. Um, this is the number two versus number fifteen. Michigan is a number is a ten and a half point favorite here. This will be the eight p.m. game on Fox. Again, Michigan's riding high. You got to feel like they're riding high after that Ohio State loss or Ohio State win. Uh, they're now in position, really, probably going to be the number two team in the playoff poll tomorrow, uh, if not. Um, Number three, probably, if for some reason they decide to put Bama ahead of them, despite the fact that Michigan clearly has a better win out of them, too. Um, but even still, like, I'm having a hard time looking at this game and not seeing a way for Michigan to win this game. Michigan's defense clearly has been their story, but their offense, especially Hassan Haskins as of late, has been the story for them. Uh, so they're going to put up points uh, really on any almost anybody. Uh, Iowa's defense is good, but I don't expect them to shut down uh, what Michigan is able to do. CK, do you see a route for Iowa to win this one? Maybe spring a surprise upset here during conference championship week? Well, when we first saw Iowa's defense to start the year, they just looked dominant, right? And that's when Iowa got up into the top five before they Number got two. beat by Purdue. Number two, yeah, before they got beat by Purdue. But it was so based around turnovers. It was They were forcing an unbelievable number of turnovers which caught up to him and mm -hmm. suddenly Spencer Petros had to work to the field and it was just it didn't look pretty right like they mm -hmm. should have lost last week to Nebraska yep. they should have lost last week to Nebraska easily but Nebraska found a way to lose yet again which they've done well this season so as far as Iowa goes if you force some turnovers can you hang in there yeah they could but if they if it's just Iowa's offense versus Michigan's defense I don't see Iowa's offense moving the ball well and at this point, they rely on the turnovers. So I think Hassan Haskins has, I mean, he's looked great lately. Mm -hmm. There's a reason Zach Charbonnet transferred. We mentioned him, right? And Haskins has proven that he's great. And Blake Corum seems to be getting healthier. So we haven't even seen him in a while. We have not. He got played, two curious. He, I would say he played a little bit last week, but clearly they didn't need him. Like Hassan, once Hassan Haskins got going last week, he just ran all over Ohio State. Again, you're talking about turnovers. The only way I could see Iowa really getting a chance in this game is they have to stop the run from Michigan. Otherwise, if Michigan's never going to put the ball in the air uh, and worry about Iowa creating turnovers that way. So they're going to have to stop the run, force Michigan to pass, maybe to create some turnovers that way. Otherwise, I see no chance for this. Uh, Michigan, as far as I'm concerned, Michigan is going to the playoff for the first time. Well earned for them too. Like Oh, absolutely. I, it's It's been a a long time with a lot of criticism and you know that they were probably one year away from Harbaugh not having a job there and a lot of people didn't want him to have a job going in this year so mm -hmm. vindication for Michigan guilty. fans okay. <laughs> guilty I, I I was I was saying I'm like I don't understand how Harbaugh still has a job 
Uh, but he took the pay cut this year and said, G- give me one more year effectively. And, well, he's, he's, er- he's earned it. Made the most of it. Absolutely. Uh, we'll see if they continue past this year. But, like I said, as far as I'm concerned, Michigan's going to the playoffs. Uh, well earned. We'll head up the Big 12 championship now. Uh, Xavier and I completely whiffed on this one. We had Oklahoma versus Iowa State. Pretty much exactly the same as almost everybody in the preseason. Maybe a couple people were hyping up Texas. Uh, maybe they make it. They, they did not. Uh, but regardless of what we predicted, we got number nine, Baylor versus number five, Oklahoma State. By the way, uh, if you're confused, I'm using the AP polls because the playoff poll for this week have not come out yet. So if you're wondering like what I'm saying or what those numbers are, it's AP poll. Number nine, Baylor versus number five, Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, a five-point favorite. Noon game on ABC. CK, I'll let you start off on this one. What do you got? It's a big game for Oklahoma State, right? They just went out and won Bedlam, and now it's if they win this game, could they get into the playoff? Like they're they're the one who's got a chance to make it into the playoff. They've got the the one loss earlier in the season, but they've they said they just had a nice win the last week. Spencer Sanders is starting to really look pretty good after a career of kind of highs and lows. He's starting to look a little bit more consistent here, whereas Baylor's playing for like a better bowl positioning, better bowl seating, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And they just were able to hold off Texas Tech in what I thought was a surprising game. So Baylor is not exactly playing their best football, whereas I think Oklahoma State is peaking at the right time. I'm I'm not going to disagree with a single thing you said there. Uh, Oklahoma State, I think, really is a team that knows how to capitalize, knows how to win win close games, uh, find the opportunities to get themselves ahead. Because go back with Oklahoma State. They have won a lot of close games, and they the only loss they have so far was Iowa State. They lost a close game, and for the most part, when they get into those close games, they like I said, they know when to capitalize. Spencer Sanders, like you said, very consistent thus far. Uh, I think he's probably not. He's this is not his final year. I don't know whose final year it is anymore, thanks to all these uh, COVID and transfer rules and stuff like that. I don't know how many years people have left anyway. Uh, but even so. I'd say probably he's playing his best football of his career right now. Um, the interception against Oklahoma last week wasn't great, but again, you can't ask for perfection. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of playoff uh, impact going on here, I got a lot of people. Or I, 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 I'm seeing a lot of like talk shows and stuff like that talking about like, would a two-loss Bama get in over Oklahoma State? And I say with an emphatic hell no, hell no. Um, nothing against Bama. Bama, if it was a Bama of the past, like, and they weren't struggling as much as they were, and they just happened to lose two fluke games, one in the SEC championship, one in the regular season, I would maybe consider it. But they've struggled against, uh, they've struggled against some relatively um, just average teams in the SEC. And Oklahoma State is finishing off the season here with win against Baylor, win against Oklahoma, win against Baylor. And I think the week before they played another ranked team. Like, they, like, Oklahoma State's finishing off the season extremely well here, getting some great wins under the belt. I have no clue how they're left out of the playoff, if it is indeed Georgia, Michigan, probably Cincinnati if they win. I, I think Oklahoma State takes that spot. I don't see a world where that doesn't happen if Alabama loses the SEC. The only thing that kept Alabama from being on the radar more for like ugly wins was Oklahoma kept pulling off those ugly wins. We kept saying, what's wrong with Oklahoma? They keep finding a way to win Alabama was doing that a lot too. They have, mm-hmm. like I said, certainly not been the dominant Alabama team. So, you know, I, I would 
and it, it'd be good for college football. Like, get some new blood in there, right? Oklahoma State, I think it would be great to get them into the, the college the football idea, playoff. The idea of having a playoff that doesn't include Bama, Oklahoma, Clemson, or Ohio State, I think is a welcome, welcome idea for a lot of college football fans. Now, I've already seen some people being like, oh, George, that wouldn't be the, that wouldn't be the case because Georgia is the same old, same old every year. I'm like, Georgia's made the playoff once. Once, y'all. Like, Georgia... Now, if Georgia didn't have to play Bama every year or didn't have to play in the SEC every year, I'm sure they would be in the playoff every single year. But even still, like, Georgia had, like, as I'm reminded constantly by Georgia's rivals, we haven't won a national title in 41 years. Like, we are, quote-unquote, new blood here for this playoff. But like you said, Oklahoma State getting in there would be huge. I think for the Big 12 as well, because you're talking about not having to rely on a brand like Oklahoma or Texas that gets them into the, the national conversation. I think that would be huge going forward because, again, Big, Tw Big 12 has to kind of figure out its identity after Oklahoma and Texas leave. I think this would go a long way towards helping that. At Oklahoma State could be the team that you know leads them forward as we go forward here. I do think that Baylor, I wonder how much they're worried about Dave Aranda taking a new job too because they the just speculation an did they not? Oh, did they? I didn't see that. Yeah, I think, I, just, I, I think, or at least they're they're in the process of giving him an extension. Oh, that's good because otherwise you got to be thinking about like, are we we got are we playing our last job here? We've a lot of speculation about Matt Campbell, right, and mm -hmm. Iowa State. So, so a lot of those Big Twelve coaches that have stepped up this year that. It'd be good to keep Baylor. It'd be good for Dave Aranda to stay for Baylor instead of taking the job going back to LSU. Yeah, I would. I would definitely agree. Again, big game there. Oklahoma State. If they win it out there. I. I think they're going to the playoff uh, unless Bama beats Georgia in the SEC championship, which that would just be terrible luck for the Big Twelve. Um, we'll go ahead and move on to the last power, or actually not the last Power Five conference championship. I'm not even close. Anyway, we got number ten Oregon versus number fourteen Utah. Utah, the two and a half point favorite here. Uh, 8 p.m. game on ABC, pretty much like we're right back where we were two weeks ago when Oregon played Utah, and that was a shocker for a lot of people. Uh, by the way, before I go any further, Xavier and I nailed this. Uh, we both picked Utah versus Oregon. He picked Utah versus Oregon. Didn't get there the same way we thought we would because after Utah starting off like 1-2 and two to start the year, I thought that prediction was debunked, but here we are. Anyway, like I said, two weeks ago, we're right at the start of where we thought we're pretty much right in the same spot. Utah slightly favored. Uh, it was a shocking game for a lot of people, not in that Oregon loss, just the way that they lost, the absolute domination that Utah put down on them. Once Oregon fell behind, they really just couldn't get anything going. So the question now is, is an old adage in college football, it's hard to beat a team twice. Um, and so here we got a rematch just two weeks later. Uh, CK, what do you think, man? Do you think Oregon's able to pull off the upset again this time? I think Oregon is a team that needs to play from in front. I think when they fall behind early, they're so run heavy. And there's not it's not bad, but it's hard for them to catch up. And mm -hmm. so when Utah, Utah wants to play physical, pound your face mouth, like pound it in the face football, right? Like Tavion Thomas lately has been incredible. They just run it right down your throat. That's that's the Utah way. And mm -hmm. Oregon is quite different than that. Like instead of physical football, theirs is more finesse and speed, which we've seen them. They've turned that into national championships too, right? Like it's worked for them, yep. but when you fall down early to that, it's hard for them to like make it back up. So 
I think it will be a closer game this time for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I think Oregon will be better prepared, but Oregon didn't look great last week in what it's not the civil war anymore, civil conflict or whatever they're calling it now against Oregon state. They did win, but it was not a dominant performance in a game that they should have had a dominant performance. You'd, you'd have liked to look a little better than that. They did mm-hmm. get Travis die going a little bit, but I think Utah still wins. I think it's a much better game than what we saw two weeks ago. I'm kind of with you. I'm I'm gonna take Utah to win again this time. Uh, again, I I'm I I'm fully bought into the idea that it's hard to be, hard to beat a team twice in college football. But there's nothing really on Oregon's team that's like no no major injured players coming back. No like like scheme changes in the past two weeks that have really kind of told me that saying, oh Oregon's a different team now than when they played against Utah last time. And really the the undersold side of this, in my opinion. For Utah, is like, again, we talk about Tavian Thomas, deservedly. But they got a pretty decent passing game when they need to. Uh, Cameron Rising has really kind of changed things up for them very well. Uh, with Charlie Brewer uh, kind of transferring out, uh, losing his starting job there. Uh, but even so, they got some receiving weapons like Brent Kuth, Britton Covey, uh, Ken Cade, uh, Devon uh, Vele, all these different guys that really just giving them options through the air whenever Tavian Thomas uh, can't get going. So I think that, again, I agree with you. We'll see a closer game than the last one that we saw, but I still think Utah has enough firepower to put away Oregon, and I think Utah goes to the Rose Bowl. So we'll head, go ahead and move on here. Let's hit up the ACC. We got number... Oh my god, I lost my spot. Number 17, Pittsburgh versus number 18, Wake Forest. 8 p.m. game on ABC. I have something wrong there because I have two games at 8 p.m. at ABC. Um, uh, the, the Oregon, I can help you with that one. The Oregon-Utah game is on Friday night. Oh, that makes sense. That makes so much sense. Um, thank you for that. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, number 18, or number 18, Wake Forest. Number 17, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, the three-point favorite here. CK, you get us started on this one. What do you got? Pittsburgh, right? They're they're coming on behind Kenny Pickett, who's a like breaking all the passing records at Pittsburgh here down the stretch. And for years we've seen this is just the Wake Forest game, right? On the Atlantic side of the ACC, but Wake Forest had a 10-win season. They have this incredible offense with mm-hmm. a very underrated defense. I think it's very underrated, but when their offense is rolling, like Sam Hartman and throwing it to A.T. Perry and Jakiri Roberson, I think Christian Beal Smith is getting healthier too. So I like Wake Forest. I like Pittsburgh. We've seen all year. This is a conference that's been dominated by offense, right? Not Mm -hmm. a whole lot of defense, but if there is a couple teams that have played defense, it's Wake Forest has played some in games when they've, when they've relied on the run, they can play some defense. NC State has played some pretty good defense all year and Pittsburgh's actually played a little bit of defense. So I think it's still going to be a very high scoring game. Oh, extremely high. I actually like, I actually like Pitt in this one though, because I'm not sure what stops Jordan Addison. I, at this point, like the Kenny Pickett to Jordan Addison connection, I said Wake Forest has Sam Hartman and Jakiri Roberson and A.T. Perry, but at this point, I've just bought in on Jordan Addison. I mean, I'm kind of with you here. I'm, I I think Pittsburgh is the better overall team. I think Wake Forest's offense is actually better than Pitt's offense. I like uh, just the wide variety of pieces that they have there, but I really do like this line. Minus three points for Pitt. Over under of 72 and a half. That's exactly the kind of a game I'm expecting here. Both of these teams getting into the 30s, if not the 40s. Uh, classic, I, I say classic, but just the kind of ACC games we've really been seeing all year with these two. 
Uh, this is going to be a entertaining as heck game on Saturday night uh, for those who maybe don't want to watch the lower scoring affair of that Michigan Iowa is probably going to be. Uh, this is where the fireworks are probably going to be. But yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna lean towards Pitt uh, here, mostly because I think when they need to play defense, I've seen them get get that going a little bit better than when Wake Forest has needed it. Um, I'll also throw out here again. Uh, Preview for this year, uh, like everybody else in the world, uh, we predicted Clemson, and both of us predicted Clemson to be here. And then I predicted predicted UNC to be here, Xavier predicted Miami to be here, so we are both wrong. We completely whiffed on this conference. Anything else you want to say about this before we head off, or head on to the next one? If you have not seen Wake Forest play, it is a fun system, and they also just extended their coach, I saw. So Dave Clausen oh, nice. just got an extension. So yeah, that's that's all I got on that one. Very, very nice. And again, a lot, a lot of players there that are probably going to be huge CFF a- assets going into next year, especially if Sam Hartman returns. So those are all the Power 5 ones. Let's move on to the group of 5 ones. We spread the love around here. We're going to hit up all of these different conferences. Uh, but we got one ranked v. ranked matchup in the group of 5, and that's going to be number 16, Houston, versus number 3, Cincinnati. Cincinnati, a 10.5 point favorite here. 4 p.m. game on Fox so with everybody basically taking care of themselves, if Cincinnati wins, they're going to be the first group of five team in the college football playoff. I don't think there's a single way the committee can really justify keeping them out at this point, especially punctuating the end of this season with a ranked win over a surprisingly great Houston team uh, who has quietly had one of the best passing defenses in the country. Clayton Tune and that offense has really gotten going in a lot of different games. Um, there's just a lot you got to like about this game. Uh, in terms of how we did preseason, both Xavier and I predicted Cincinnati to get here because we saw how many pieces were coming back. Uh, we both whiffed on who they'd be facing. I thought SMU would be here, which going throughout most of the season looked like that was going to be the case. Um, and then Xavier picked Tulsa. Love Xavier. Not sure what was uh, going through your mind on that one, bud. Uh, but even still, again, this to me is going to be one of the... Like, I think this is going to be one of the better games. I think Houston has a legitimate shot to beat Cincinnati here. Again, that passing defense has been really, really good for them. Their rushing defense, while not as good, still very good. I think they can keep this low scoring and make it to where just a couple of big plays either way can decide the whole thing. What do you think, CK? Yeah, I think Houston dropped their very first game of the year. It was, it was either Texas or Texas Tech. I think it was Texas, Texas Tech, Tech that got them the very first game of the year. And then they've reeled off 11 straight wins, including, like you said, you, they beat they beat SMU in there, right? They handled Memphis pretty well, which is a pretty tough game in there. They beat Navy, which you never know what you're going to get. So they have some solid wins. And you mentioned it, right? Like We know what that with Clayton, too, and their, their offense can get going, too. He's looked really good. He was injured for a while in the middle of the season, but he's gotten Cohen the last few weeks, and he looks like the guy that we thought he was going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alt McCaskill, right? Like The run game is there, too. Like They can run it a little bit. So I'm very impressed with Houston. Now, Cincinnati, the difference is I think Cincinnati has the defense, right? Like Houston yes. has a good defense. Cincinnati has arguably this, maybe the second best defense behind Georgia in the country right now. Mm-hmm. They have that type of skill set. So I'll stick to Cincinnati, but I do think it's going to be a very competitive game. Whereas we've seen the last few weeks, Cincinnati has finally started to do what we thought they needed to do, which is blow some teams out. I don't think they're blowing out a Houston team. 
I, I agree with you 100%. Again, I'm going to lean Cincinnati here. If I was a betting man, I probably would take Houston plus the points. Again, 10.5 just seems like a bit too fat of a line for me there. Um, especially, like, I could see Cincinnati winning by 10, but again, it's 10.5. So um, I'd probably take the points there because I just like where that number is at. Uh, but it's not a betting show. Uh, the other, the one last thing I wanted to talk about here, again, I briefly mentioned when we first started this game preview that Cincinnati wins, they're into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But with everybody else in college football struggling as much as they are, Alabama might come into next next weekend with two losses. So Ohio State is going to have two losses. Um, Oklahoma State, they're going to have one loss. But if they lose to Baylor, they're going to have two losses. If enough chaos happens... Does Cincinnati get into the playoff regardless of how this game turns out? Well, one of Georgia and Alabama gets in, right? So yes. we expect it to be Georgia. I think that if, like you say, Michigan loses and, and some of that other stuff happens, I think Notre Dame probably gets a spot, right? Oh, yeah. Notre Dame quietly, I think they're fifth or sixth right now in that poll. I think, I think they still get a spot. Six. Sixth? Yeah. Sixth. So, yeah, I think they still will get a spot then if if Michigan were to lose and Alabama gets handled well and some of that other stuff happens, but there is certainly a chance that if some massive chaos happens this week, like Cincinnati has a pretty good win against Notre Dame, right? They have some pretty good Great wins win. against Notre Dame. Whereas we mentioned like Alabama's looked okay. They've looked okay at times. Oklahoma state has like a good win or two in there. So you could certainly make the case that Cincinnati has every bit the resume at this point. Now they don't have the week to week wins and that's always what they have to argue with. Right. But they have big wins that, even when they scheduled Indiana, they didn't we, going into the year. We thought Indiana was going to be pretty good, and mm-hmm. it just turned out they weren't, which sucked for Cincinnati's resume. But yeah, well, that, that Notre I've, I've Dame heard, win comes back. I've heard the playoff committee did kind of change their tune about schedules a little bit over the past couple of years, especially when it came to G five schedules. Uh, they said that they were going to really take into account intent of scheduling rather than like how that win actually looks on the resume, if that makes sense. Because they know that it's not going to be the G5 team's pro- uh, fault if they go out and schedule, like if they went and scheduled Clemson before this year and they would have played Clemson this year, Clemson's kind of a bit down compared to regular years. So it's not the, it's not the G5's fault that Clemson's not as good of a win this year as they would be. Or like say like they scheduled Florida State like 10 years ago they're like, all righty, Florida State, that's going to be a great win for us if we ever get that. And then they get to Florida State now, and it's just like, oh, they didn't even make a bowl game this year. Uh, oof. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. I just want to kind of throw that out there because, again, I think there's just amount, enough chaos really could happen to where Cincinnati makes it in undefeated or not. We'll head up another game here. We got the Mountain West we got Utah State versus number 19, San Diego State. San Diego State, a six-point favorite here. Uh, this will be the 3 p.m. game on Fox. I believe this is on Friday as well, if I remember that correctly. Are we losing internet again? You're skipping on me. Okay. Uh, yeah, I lost internet, or I got weak internet connection there for a second. Sorry about that, y'all. Anyway, we'll continue. We'll just keep on going here. Uh... Utah State, San Diego State, 3 p.m. game on Fox. I believe this is a Friday night game uh, for the Mountain West. The thing that, okay, I'll also, again, preseason prediction, I had Nevada versus Wyoming. Xavier had Nevada versus Boise State. Whiffed on both of that. I, it, but, like, 
nobody can blame us because nobody in this conference really wanted to win. Um, like every time one of these teams felt like they grabbed the division lead, they found a way to flounder it. And it just happens to be that San Diego State and Utah State were just the survivors at the end of the day. So CK, you start us off. What do you think about this game? If you haven't seen Utah State play yet, watch them. They have one of the more unique offensive styles that there is where they line up their guys so wide on the field, their receivers and Devin Tompkins is incredible for them, but uh, Brandon Bowling is good for them too. And, and Logan Bonner gets the ball around and he's super tough. Like I've watched a few games this year. Where I thought, dude, this guy, cause I've, I've rostered Brandon or Logan Bonner on quite a few CFF teams and he'd get hurt. Oh, yeah. He'd be limping around and I'd be like, Oh geez, I'm never going to win. And he just keep toughing it out. Like, so oh, yeah. uh, Utah state's fun team to watch. Now San Diego state is almost the opposite and that they just pound the rock and they want to run the ball and they run it as much as they can. I was like, they're, they're murder ball to the extreme. So it's worked, right? They've only lost one game this year. They dropped a game to was Fresno, it? State. Fresno state, Fresno state, right? Yeah. So it should be, it, it's a clash of systems, right? So we will see which one works better, whether it is Utah state in the wide open spread or San Diego state. And like you said, the murder ball. So I think, because I've seen San Diego State put together some pretty good wins. You, they beat Nevada recently. They beat Boise State. I, I think I'll take San Diego State in this game. Yeah, I'm going to take San Diego State as well. And like, as much as like I don't want to root for the team that I think is like less entertaining to watch, um, like like you said, they've beaten teams that kind of or heavy passing teams like Utah State in the past year. Their passing defense is one of the best in the Group of Five, if not the country. Uh, you're talking about just a bad matchup there for Utah State. Utah State doesn't have a running back that you can really look at and say, oh, he can take over the game if Utah State needs him to. I think his name's Calvin Tyler. He's he's nice. He's fine. But like Utah State always has been able to score through the air. San Diego State's able to shut that down. I like them in this game. I think San Diego State, if I had, didn't they beat Utah earlier in the year? I they did. They got a Utah they win, right? Yeah, so that's, like one of the first that's an impressive weeks. win. I would yeah. definitely agree, yeah, especially since Utah turned it around after that point. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, that was that was one of the ones that they dropped, but that was a ranked first ranked game, I'm pretty sure, and it went into overtime. I remember watching that game. So yeah, San Diego State has some impressive wins, and if you can beat a Utah team that we were just talking about, we think can beat Oregon, like you can beat a Utah State team. I would definitely agree, 100. percent Let's go. So the ACC matchup was gonna, probably going to be the highest scoring matchup of the weekend. But let's be real, this game's going to be probably right behind them. We're in the CUSA. We got Western Kentucky versus UTSA, 7 p.m. game on CBS Sports Network. This will be the 7 p.m. game Friday night. Western Kentucky, a one-and-a-half-point favorite here. Uh, Preseason expectations, I had UTSA in this game, but I had Marshall. Uh, I didn't expect Western Kentucky to be this good. Uh, Xavier nailed it. He had UTSA versus Western Kentucky. I believe he had UTSA winning the whole thing. I expect this to be a complete, like, almost carbon copy of their clash earlier this season. Both of these teams hitting 40 points. I, no defense played in this game. This is going to be the fun game for you just to watch on a Friday night. What do you think, CK? Yeah, this is going to be the one that you should tune in to watch it because it's going to be up and down the field. Western Kentucky with Bailey Zappi and 
his last game before the bowl and then on to whatever he's going to do. But at Jared Stearns, I know he kind of disappointed that last week for CFF purposes, but he's been great all year. They, they throw the ball over the field. It is a fun team to watch. And then UTSA, they did not get the undefeated season, right? This last week, they got tripped up by North Texas. So that was disappointing because we wanted to see a third undefeated team, but mm-hmm. it didn't happen. But still a good year, right? They are still lots to be proud of. Didn't see. I know Frank Harris got hurt at halftime. Did you see how what the status is on that? Because I have did not. I have not seen anything on Frank Harris so far. Yeah. So that's that's their quarterback, right? And we want to see. It, I know he did not play the second half, so we want him to get out there and see Frank Harrison, Sear McCormick, Zachary Franklin, see that offense rolling like they can do. And then it, then you said you, we've seen these two teams play once before this year, and, and it was fun. Now I think I would probably say it's going to be. Western Kentucky, now the only was the last team that handed them a loss was UTSA, which was I think mm-hmm. 52-46. So, but Western Kentucky's been on a great run since then. It seems to have really came together for them. So I think I'll take Western Kentucky at this game too. I'm gonna take Western Kentucky to win the rematch here. Like you said, without Frank Harris, I don't see real UTSA. If if, if even a hobbled uh Frank Harris, I think is gonna limit UTSA enough here. Although Western Kentucky's run defense is just not great. So maybe Sincere McCormick absolutely takes over the game uh for them but even so i'm with you i western kentucky especially with bailey zappy starting to get a little bit of nfl buzz you know not like first round or anything like that but you know people starting to look at him and saying hey this guy kind of came out of nowhere now we want to take a look at him he's going to want to show off in this kind of game so i think he'll be absolutely looking to put up plenty of points i think western kentucky takes the w home in this one we got cusa we're now moving on to the maction um, preseason expectations, Xavier and I both had Kent State versus Western Michigan. I've, like I said, I, I was high on Caleb Ellaby. I whiffed on that. Western Michigan just wasn't quite as good as I expected them to be. Kent State was every bit that I thought they were going to be. Uh, terrible defense, awesome offense, and that offense carried them throughout the season, and here they are. Really the surprise here to me is the Northern Illinois Huskies, and they really just, I mean, they beat Georgia Tech early on in the year. And then from there, they just rode a series of very, very close games, almost all the way to this point. And here they are. So, CK, what are you thinking here, man? Yeah, and Northern Illinois just dropped their last game last week to Western Michigan, where they got beat fairly handily, which is mm-hmm. not what you want as you go ready to go into a conference championship game. But Northern Illinois has been the team surprise team for me too. I I would say that Kent state has done exactly what I thought. And like you said, they score a lot of points. They don't play much defense, but it has been more Marquez Cooper running the ball. And um, what's the other Xavier Williams running the ball. I thought it would just be dusting from the whole time. And it hasn't been, it's, he's been a big part of it, but it's not been just him. It's going to be a typical action game. It's not going to be as much offense. I don't think as Western Kentucky and UTSA, but there should be a lot of offense in this game. I think it's a tough one for me to pick this game because you never know what you're going to get with Maction. We just you never saw, know. We just saw Kent State go to overtime to win by one against Miami. So I think I'll take Kent State, though. I, I think I'm going to take Kent State. So I got a lot of players I like on Northern Illinois. Trayvon Rudolph is going to be one of my favorite players yeah. going into next year. I absolutely exploded as the season kind of went on here. Disappointing last week uh, during championship week, and I felt bad for a lot of people because I told them, like, yeah, Trayvon Rudolph should have a great week now. last week. He did, he did not. Um, but like you said, I'm kind of with you. Both of these teams have bad defenses. 
Kent State, really the passing defense, one of the worst in the country. But NIU's rushing defense is one of the worst in the country. And like you said, Kent State's identity has become Dustin Crum running the ball, Marquez Cooper running the ball, Xavier Williams running the ball. I think with that three of a tandem, I think they're able to find more points by the end of the night. Even if Trayvon Rudolph and um, I think Rocky Lombardi will be back to play for this game, if I remember off the top of my head. Um, I think he was held out last week. I think he'll be back for this one. Even if they're able to connect through the air, I think Kent State finds a way to get just get more points at the end of the day. That's all it is ever in action, right? Who can get the most points by the end? I mean, that's, that's every football game if you're really going to break <laughs> it down. <laughs> all righty, so we got one last conference championship game to hit up here. We got Appalachian State, a three-point favorite, versus Louisiana, 3-30 game on ESPN. I'm not going to lie, I'm a little shocked that App State's the favorite here. Uh, especially considering how it went for them last time. Uh, Louisiana absolutely just rolled them. Now, Louisiana also kind of had the Iowa syndrome where it was a ton of turnovers, uh, a lot of short field position. They were just able to take advantage of that. I don't imagine that'll happen again here. But even still, you got Billy Napier. He's on his way out. Um, got a lot of guys for Louisiana, I think, that are looking to probably boost their stock either in the eyes of the NFL, but also I think I wouldn't be shocked if we see maybe some of these guys at Louisiana probably take their shot at the transfer portal, maybe transfer up. So I think they're going to have plenty to play for here. Uh, Appalachian State definitely has looked like a better team the past couple of weeks after their loss to Louisiana. Um, I don't know. Again, the surprising thing to me was, again, App State being here, Coastal Carolina not. Both Xavier and I had Coastal Carolina in here over App State. We both predicted Louisiana here. Um, but it really, Coastal Carolina season fell apart when Grayson, Grayson McCall got knocked out for a couple of weeks, and that's when they took a couple L's. What do you think about this, CK? What are you expecting here? Yeah, I think you're spot on, dude. I think App State being favored is like the history of Appalachian State being taken into account here because they've won the last two, or I think the only two, as far as conference <laughs> championship games go. So... What we've seen on the field is Louisiana's looked like a better team all year than App State. And when they played each other, it was, like you said, it was a dominant performance. So I think that App State, just kind of like the Oregon-Utah uh, game, I think App State probably keeps it closer this time. But it's also a home game for Louisiana, right? It is at their park. So I think so. I, th I think I will take Louisiana again. Um if nothing else, like win one for Billy Napier on the way out, right? Like we've seen him, how good he's going. He's going to go play for Florida. I think they, that's always hard because they either get up for your coach that's leaving and say like, we're showing off one more time or it's, it can be a little bit of a letdown, but I, I think if, that they get up and play even better. If this was a, oh, an, another, another big transfer portal uh, announcement. Man, we're just here. breaking news left and right. Uh, 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 Jadon Hazelwood, uh, wide receiver out of Oklahoma just entered the transfer portal. So that's another big one. Um, I don't really know where he would go. I, I, I thought he would be one of the ones to try to stay at Oklahoma, try to take advantage of whoever they hire next, but who knows? So Bob Stoops is going to be coaching a bunch of walk-ons in this bowl right. game that's coming up, man. Like, who's left? No joke. <laughs> um, anyway, back to this game. Again, you're right. It's hard to tell in terms of, like, if it's a coach's last game, does the team get up, or do they just kind of fizzle out? If this wasn't a conference championship game, I would bet against the Raging Cajuns, but regardless of what they feel about their coach right now, maybe, I can't see the Raging Cajun players not try to get up for this kind of game. This is the bowl game. I would definitely bet against Louisiana, but 
I'm going to take them to win this game. I think it's going to be an outright upset. Technically, uh, three-point upset. So yeah, I don't know how that's a three-point upset, but yeah, I agree. <laughs> again, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of shocked by that line. Even if you take into account turnovers and everything from the last game and everything, I thought Louisiana clearly looked like the better team just overall. But even still, those are our conference championships uh, previews. We uh, give you guys tons of transfer portal information, really out of turn when it when it kind of came in sometimes there. Um, but again, I want to thank you guys so much for tuning in. We kept this at a pretty good time. I think between uh, both recordings, we got about an hour, 15, hour, 20 minutes. So that's some good, good content for you guys this week. CK, I want to thank you so much for coming on today, man. You have been incredible. I uh, just want to remind everybody out there, if you're watching this on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, hit that like button, leave those comments down below, let us know, uh, just really anything you want. Uh, let us know what you think about the transfer news, let us know what you think about uh, the conference games, uh, let me know what you think about CK, he's a pretty cool guy, I would say, so uh, he's been pretty awesome for us. If you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, make sure you're following us there, and if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave that five-star review, we love, love, love seeing those being written. And then if you want to contact me, by far the best place to do that is on Twitter. I am at CFF underscore Jared. Uh, Xavier, my co-host, he is at CFF underscore Xavier if you want to contact him as well. And then just in general, we're excited to bring you guys what we can during the offseason. We got bowl games coming up. We got um, just really previewing next year, just getting the ground running on that. Uh, a lot of review of this year and stuff like that. I'm putting together a spreadsheet that gets me a lot of stats from this year. I'll like bring you guys some content based on that. But even still, CK, you want to remind the folks at home where they can find you and what you work on before you head out of here? Yeah, you find me on Twitter at CoPeeps. So it's C-O-P-I-E-P-S. I said I do a baseball podcast and I'm probably going to do something college fantasy football. I'm at least working on some ranks right now, which I'll release on there. And so that will be out there. It's been great talking with you, Jared. You're a great guy. Glad we could finally meet here. And, yes, sir. Uh, Keep doing what you're doing, man. Spreading the CFF love. I love it. Absolutely. Again, I'm very excited to see what we can do for this upcoming year. And like I said, y'all, things are kind of quieting down, but we ain't going anywhere. So I appreciate y'all tuning in, and we'll see you guys next time. Have a blessed day.